your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that both leading candidates for president, yes, both of them, made outrageous statements over the last 24 hours. Statements uh, that the other side, that their opponents not only want to win power, but want to destroy democracy. Is that true? Both Republicans and Democrats, both Trump and Biden, want to destroy democracy. Biden gave a fundraising speech uh, last night to a Broadway audience where he said Trump is determined uh, to destroy American democracy. It's an outrageous thing to say, especially the night before he gives a, a, an important speech at the United Nations. We'll play you some highlights of it uh, that actually talks about the defense of democracy and the importance of defending democracy in Ukraine and around the world. And meanwhile, Trump uh, still defends the uh, mailing that was sent out yesterday. It's actually a flyer, but it was a release from President Trump basically saying that liberal Jews uh, are destroying America and Israel. The same idea that your opponent is not only wrong, your opponent is not only misguided, but your opponent wants to destroy America. Really, do you think there are people in American politics? I mean, I don't care who you want to refer to. People like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Lauren Boebert or Matt Gates, or anyone you want to name. To, to say that that individual wants to destroy America to destroy American democracy, it's completely outrageous. Uh, there's a, a mystery here. It's a mystery about the vice presidency. And uh, again, more and more and more commentary that uh, Joe Biden needs to do something to get a different running mate. And uh, there's actually a list put together by two columnists from the New York Times of who should replace Kamala Harris. We will get to that. We will also get to the mystery of who uh, Trump is likely to pick as his vice presidential nominee. There's a speculation on the Hill about how that will be based upon conversation uh, with President Trump. Yes, President Trump has said very publicly that he likes the concept of appointing a woman. He says, I like the concept, but we're going to pick the best person. But I do like the concept, yes, the concept of having a female running mate. Who will it be? We will get to that. We will uh, also get to the question about do the m men really think about the Roman Empire all the time. Uh, that's what uh, Time magazine says. And what exactly do women think about all the time? We will get to that interesting question as well. They probably don't think about speeches before the United Nations General Assembly. President Biden spoke uh, this morning 
And the president spoke about where we are trying to add some level of drama to this meeting of the U.N. General Assembly. Part of what's striking about this meeting is that there's so many no-shows of prominent world leaders, including world leaders from countries that are permanent members of the Security Council who didn't show up, including, of course, President Vladimir Putin, uh, the Chinese leader Xi Jinping, no-shows. Uh, uh, Putin is going to be represented by the Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Uh, Beijing will be represented by Vice President Hang uh, Zheng, who is a little-known figure on the international stage. Also absent will be UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, French President Emmanuel Macron, and the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, meanwhile, President Biden spoke to the uh, audience. He was certainly there. And he was talking about the inflection point in world history in which we find ourselves. This is the President of the United States speaking to the United Nations. My fellow leaders, we gather once more at an inflection point in world history. With the eyes of the world upon all of you, all of us, as President of the United States, I understand the duty my country has to lead in this critical moment, to work with countries in every region, linking them in common cause, to join together with partners who share a common vision of the future of the world, where our children do not go hungry and everyone has access to quality health care where workers are empowered and our environment is protected, where entrepreneurs and innovators everywhere can access opportunity everywhere, where conflicts are resolved peacefully and countries can chart their own course. The United States seeks a more secure, more prosperous, more equitable world for all people because we know our future is bound to yours. Let me repeat that again. We know our future is bound to yours. Uh, President Biden speaking at the UN General Assembly, speaking in general terms about aspirations for a more cooperative, uh, more benign world. That's before he got into the divisive issue. Yes, it's a divisive issue at the UN, as it is in American politics, of support for Ukraine. Uh, but the president was strong. Here is what he had to say. Uh, clip two. Like every nation in the world, the United States wants this war to end. No nation wants this war to end more than Ukraine. And we strongly support Ukraine in its efforts to bring about a diplomatic resolution that delivers just and lasting peace. But Russia alone, Russia alone bears responsibility for this war. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately. And it's Russia alone that stands in the way of peace because the Russia's price for peace is Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine's children. Russia believes that the world will grow weary and allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. But I ask you this, 
If we abandon the core principles of the United States to appease an aggressor, can any member state in this body feel confident that they are protected? If we allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure? I'd respectfully suggest the answer is no. We have to stand up to this naked aggression today and deter other would-be aggressors tomorrow. That's why the United States, together with our allies and partners around the world, will continue to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity and their freedom. And part of that applause was from Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of uh, Ukraine, who was in the audience for Biden's speech. This was the second year in a row, uh, this gathering, uh, Biden said, dedicated to a peaceful resolution of conflicts. It's darkened by the shadow of war, an illegal war of conquest, uh, conquest brought without provocation against its neighbor, Ukraine. Uh, Russia alone bears responsibility for this war, said President Biden. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately. And it's Russia alone that stands in the way of peace. Uh, then now President Zelensky spoke. He spoke more recently. He spoke after the President of the United States. Uh, what did he have to say? We will get to that. We'll also get to a prominent liberal condemning the Democrats on immigration. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show earlier today, there was a disappointment uh, that occurred in the House of Representatives. Uh, yesterday, we had been encouraged, I think everybody had been encouraged by the fact that uh, a group called the Mainstream Caucus, which is a uh, more moderate conservative group, had gotten together with the House Freedom Caucus, that's the 20 members of the House of Representatives. And keep in mind, it's 20 members. It's not anywhere close to a majority of the Republicans in the House who are 222, I believe, is the actual number. So you're talking about one-tenth of the House on each side. But they had gone together and drafted a uh, an agreement uh, that would have kept the government running at least until Halloween and uh, leaving them another month to try to pass some of the appropriations bills that they haven't passed at all. They just haven't gotten to it. Well, today, Speaker McCarthy withdrew that proposed bill from uh, the vote that was scheduled. It's not going to be voted on. And one of the problems with the bill is it has no funding for Ukraine and that was something that uh, that helped to draw uh, Vladimir Zelensky to the UN uh, today where he spoke and as he always does spoke dramatically and passionately and uh, he is going to be uh, coming to Congress 
and uh, meeting with uh, leaders of all sides on all sides to make the case for continued support for uh, Ukraine in the midst of uh, the ongoing horrors of this war. Uh, this was uh, President Zelensky, the duly elected uh, president of Ukraine, and he won when he was reconfirmed as president of Ukraine. He won with about 70% of the vote. He is popular at home and a popular war leader. And uh, what he said to the United Nations was about hatred and the hatred that has been generated against his people. Uh, this is Volodymyr Zelensky speaking this morning to the General Assembly of the UN. When hatred is weaponized against one nation, it never stops there. Each decade, Russia starts a new war. Parts of Moldova and Georgia remain occupied. Russia turns Syria into ruins. And if not Russia, the chemical weapons would have never been used there in Syria. Russia has almost swallowed Belarus. It is obviously threatening Kazakhstan and other Baltic states. And the goal of the present war against Ukraine is to turn our land, our people, our lives, our resources into a weapon against you again the international rules-based order and uh, as he was saying those words the uh, Russian representative who I believe is the foreign minister uh, Sergei Lavrov uh, was shown on camera uh, visibly, visibly scrolling <laughs> on his phone and checking his messages. He wasn't interested in hearing a message from Volodymyr Zelensky. Um, this is a uh, continued uh, portion from Zelensky's uh, speech in the UN today. And yes, it appears to be, have been well received, certainly by other Americans who were there at the UN today. Uh, this is Volodymyr Zelensky, clip 18. Ukraine gave up its third largest nuclear arsenal. The world then decided Russia should become a keeper of such power. Yet history shows it was Russia who deserved nuclear disarmament the most back in 1990s. And Russia deserves it now. Terrorists have no right to hold nuclear weapons. No right. But truly, not the nukes are the scariest now. While nukes remain in place, the mass destruction is gaining its momentum. The aggressor is weaponizing many other things, and those things are used not only against our country, but against all of yours as well. What he was talking about, about disarming uh, Ukraine, but not disarming Russia, was Ukraine used to be a separate member of the UN, part of the deal that Roosevelt made with Stalin to get Russia to join the UN, was that Russia would have uh, three different votes in the United Nations. 
they would have uh, Belarus and Ukraine as separate countries, even though there was no separation. Ukraine was totally under Russian control. However, because Ukraine is further to the West, they had a an impressive collection of nuclear weapons that were not built by Ukraine. They were built by Russia, but they were stationed in Ukraine and they were Ukrainian property at the end of the Cold War. And part of what happened is there was an agreement that was made in Budapest in the capital of Hungary, an agreement involving President Clinton uh, and uh, President of Russia at the time, who was Boris Yeltsin, and uh, the president of uh, Ukraine at, at the time, who um, is one of those uh, lesser leaders that Ukraine was plagued with right after the uh, separation from the USSR. In any event, they made an agreement to get rid of the nuclear weapons that were in Ukraine. Ukraine at the time had the third largest collection of nuclear weapons in the world right after the Soviet Union uh, and the United States. Uh, there were more nuclear weapons in Ukraine than in Britain or China uh, or any other country that had them. But they were all moved away with a promise jointly by Boris Yeltsin, president of Russia, and uh, by President Clinton of the U.S. that uh, both Russia and the U.S. would guarantee Ukraine's independence if Ukraine gave up the nuclear weapons. Well, they did. And so, to some extent, the United States' support for Ukraine to defend the independence now is about a promise being kept. Uh, Zelensky also spoke about one of the horrors that Russia has uh, perpetrated against his country, which involves the kidnapping of children and taken away from their parents and taken to Russia to be indoctrinated and to be Russianized with uh, full of hatred for uh, Ukraine. Uh, we will come back to that. Also, Farid Zakaria, leading liberal, slams the Democrats on immigration. Coming up. And on the Michael Medved Show, talking about the meeting of the United Nations General Assembly. And we were talking before about uh, the advantages that Russia had uh, coming into the UN, where uh, there, it's not like the Congress of the United States, where the number of people you have or the population you have, at least in one House of Congress, in neither the General Assembly nor in the Security Council do the most populous and powerful nations have extra votes. What they have is in the Security Council, which has 15 members in it. It's mostly a rotating membership, except there are permanent members. 
And the permanent members were the most powerful nations at the end of the war. Uh, the United States and Great Britain and France, not Germany, because Germany had just lost the war. They were on the other side, obviously. And, and Russia. And Russia not only has that permanent membership, they have the veto power, as all the permanent members do. They also have China as a member, but it used to be uh, the nationalist China, which, uh, again, the leaders escaped to Taiwan. Chiang Kai-shek, the great generalissimo, who was the leader of China. and But uh, then it was changed when President Nixon recognized Red China as the actual China, and it became a permanent member of the uh, UN Security Council. In any event, the, the idea that all of this is going on with the United Nations and the, the power of the United Nations to actually do something about allowing the, the grain coming out of Ukraine to be sold to the rest of the world, which, by the way, has a real impact on the problem of hunger. There's also that, that horror of the kidnapping of children by the thousands in Ukraine, children who are taken to Russia. That was something that President Zelensky spoke about this morning, clip 19. You know the names of tens of thousands of children and have evidence on hundreds of thousands of others kidnapped by Russia in the occupied territories of Ukraine and later deported. The International Criminal Court issued arrest warrant for Putin for this crime. And we are trying to get children back home. But time, time goes by. What will happen with them? What will happen to them? Those children in Russia are taught to hate Ukraine. And all ties with their families are broken. And this is clearly a genocide. Uh, and uh, again, uh, genocide is a harsh word. Is it appropriate for what is going on in Ukraine? Uh, it is. And uh, Biden today uh, obviously devoted most of his speech to, um, to Ukraine. He also spoke about our relationship with China and he sought to emphasize a more diplomatic tone, reports CNN, regarding the American relationship with China. The president said, I want to be clear and consistent. We seek to responsibly manage the competition between our countries so it does not tip into conflict. I've said we are for de-risking, not decoupling on China. He said, warning that the U.S. would push back on aggression. He has said before very clearly that the United States would come to the defense of Taiwan, uh, even though Taiwan is not part of NATO or any comparable organization. And uh, that's uh, been one of the more controversial aspects of the Biden foreign policy. Tomorrow, uh, Biden's going to be at the UN meeting with the president of Brazil, uh, Lula da Silva, to discuss labor issues, and he's going to be meeting tomorrow 
with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, uh, with whom uh, CNN reports Biden has clashed on the country's controversial judicial reform plan. Uh, Biden also discussed that judicial reform plan. Actually, not Biden, but the other part of the equation, Netanyahu, with uh, his trip before he uh, came back for the UN General Assembly, he went to Silicon Valley, as we talked about, to meet with Elon Musk. There were lots of Israelis and um, American Jews, frankly, who were upset that Netanyahu decided to meet with Elon Musk uh, in uh, light of the fact that um, Musk has um, basically blamed a Jewish organization, the Anti-Defamation League, uh, for the collapse of his Twitter venture in terms of its advertising revenue, which is down 60%. In any event, apparently there was a, a genial meeting between the Prime Minister of Israel and uh, the Prime Minister of Tesla. Uh, and the uh, uh, Elon Musk and they did not speak about space exploration uh, and uh, they they did speak uh, at least Prime Minister Netanyahu did about anti-semitism and the problem of anti-semitism uh, Byron Donalds uh, sent a message to Volodymyr Zelensky who's going to be speaking to Congress uh, later this week uh, speaking to members of Congress and coming to Washington uh, and uh, basically Byron Donald's not a uh, uh, he is a member of the House Freedom Caucus and not a particularly welcoming message to the president of Ukraine this is clip 15 what message does it send that so many conservatives are opposed to more money for Ukraine? Uh, the first thing I'll tell you is there's no money in the House right now for Ukraine. There's just not, it's not there. Um, you mean there's no support for money? No. And to be blunt, we're running a $2 trillion deficit. Any money we give to Ukraine, we're borrowing from our future. That's the facts. Those are the truth. You can, anybody, you feel how you want to feel about it. I'm here to tell you what's right and what's real. Uh, I mean, look, it's not a good time for him to be here, quite frankly. Um, that's just the reality. And the third piece is what's happened with Ukraine is, frankly, the fault of leadership of Joe Biden. Let's be very clear of that. So do not don't put that on the backs of the American people. Now, if we had a commander in chief who knew how to lead as opposed to take naps, then we would be in a much better situation when it comes to Ukraine and global security for that matter. The uh, the idea that uh, Vladimir Putin is not the one responsible for the war on Ukraine it's not Vladimir Putin, it's Joe Biden and the propensity for taking naps. Uh, the, the difficulty here is there is a split in the Republican Party. And what's fascinating is the polling shows that Democrats overwhelmingly do favor funding uh, for Ukraine and its struggle. And the idea of in the middle of a war where our allies are m making uh, put together uh, comparable contributions to the United States and as a percentage of their general defense uh, spending a very comparable contributions to Ukraine as we are uh, what do you say to to Germany to uh, to uh, Great Britain 
which has been very direct to Slovakia, to Poland, to other members of NATO. Uh, that's a question asked by Mike Pence, uh, speaking about isolationism and appeasement, and uh, speaking very effectively about that. Uh, we will get to that and to more, including why do men think all the time about the Roman Empire? That and more coming up on the Medved Show. More of Michael Medved in a moment. Michael Medved show. Uh, the Hudson Institute is a conservative think tank, uh, certainly one of the most conservative, important conservative think tanks in the country, together with the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, we, um, we often draw on some of the fine minds from all three institutions, but particularly from American Enterprise Institute. But at, at the Hudson Institute, which has a particular emphasis on foreign policy and defense policy and national security, uh, Mike Pence, the former vice president of the United States, who has been making at least some progress with his presidential campaign, he is one of those people who got people's attention during the recent debates. Actually, when they broke down the debate that they had in Milwaukee into the amount of airtime that each candidate got, that each candidate used, Mike Pence spoke more in that debate than anyone else. He also spoke... Uh, with an important message at Hudson Institute about isolationism. Uh, here's the former Vice President Mike Pence. Some Republican candidates, including my former running mate, are abandoning the traditional conservative position of American leadership on the world stage and embracing a new and dangerous form of isolationism. I believe isolationism is just another word for appeasement. And let's be clear, appeasement will not make America any safer. In fact, appeasement would only make America and the world more dangerous. And uh, isn't that obviously true? And isn't that what history shows? The, uh, the idea of peace through strength, of a, an, an ordered uh, uh, arrangement... Uh, of nations in the world, of uh, finding different ways that people can work out their problems other than welfare, isn't that a goal worth pursuing? Also, uh, on uh, CNN, Ambassador John Bolton, who's been a frequent guest on this show, uh, voiced his agreement with Mike Pence that isolationism is a terrible policy and is at a time when the whole world is gathered at the United Nations in New York. Uh, it is a 
terrible policy and a grave danger for America. Here's Ambassador Bolton, former ambassador to the U.N. Well, I think the vice president is exactly correct, and I do think across the country he's reflecting the, the Reaganite sentiment that still forms an overwhelming majority of Republicans, and, and in Congress as well. There is an isolationist virus loose in the party. There's no doubt about it. I think it was put there by Donald Trump, who, who doesn't have enough of a coherent policy to understand what isolation is. But it's, it's a grave danger for America, given the threats we're facing around the world, whether it's China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, terrorists in Afghanistan. This is the last point where we should be engaged in this notion that if we just pull back, we'll be safer. It's exactly the wrong way. The way to protect America is to project strength in the world to deter our adversaries. Uh, and I think that's the policy that uh, we should have a much more vigorous debate about in this upcoming election. You know, in presidential uh, cycles, we just don't talk about foreign affairs enough. We're in a dangerous world, and we need to know which of the prospective candidates has the strength to lead us through dangerous times. Okay, and again, when you talk about how dangerous those times are, and you look at the level of suffering, level of coups that are going on in Africa, the level of rape victims, where they're estimating there are 10,000 in Niger, uh, that uh, uh, all of these these horrors in the world uh, no, the United States can't solve all of them and we're not the cops of the world we can't be the policemen of the world but we need to play a role uh, President Biden said this morning and he, he is correct as president of the United States I understand the duty my country has to lead at this critical moment and uh, as the U.S. Uh, writes, they report in CNN, as the U.S. Uh, seeks to counter the authoritarian pull of Russia and China, Biden is joining the presidents of five Central Asian nations, uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Uh, all the stands, uh, as you want. And all of them formerly part of the Soviet Union. Part of those were part of what is in the uh, eastern portion of Russia and uh, that were part of the Soviet Union. They've now been given their independence. And this group of nations, the C5 plus one presidential summit, that's going to be happening today uh, for a discussion of regional security, trade and connectivity, climate and reforms to improve governance and the rule of law and they uh, by the way those nations that I mentioned are not supporters of Putin's invasion into Russia why not because of course they next uh, the United States uh, seeks a more secure more prosperous more equitable world for all people because we know our future is bound to yours. And then he repeated that, and no nation can meet the challenges of today alone. Uh, there uh, are areas where the administration acknowledges progress will remain elusive. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, said he is not optimistic 
that UN leadership and partner countries can make progress reinstating the Black Sea Grain Initiative despite UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres holding meetings on it with uh, Zelensky and other partners in uh, New York this week. We know the Turks are working hard at this, Guterres is working hard at this, Sullivan told reporters, but the Russians are not giving us a huge amount of cause for optimism at this time. And uh, in addition to strengthening of institutions, which is part of what Biden spoke about to the UN, he uh, called on the world body to forge new partnerships, confront new challenges on emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, which he said uh, offers both enormous potential and enormous peril. And uh, the president then said this. He said, we need to be able to break the gridlock that too often stymies progress and blocks consensus on the council. He meant the Security Council of the UN. We need more voices, more perspectives at the table. The United Nations must continue to preserve peace, prevent conflict, and alleviate human suffering. And we embrace nations stepping up to lead new ways to seek new breakthroughs on hard issues, he added. Uh, again, does any of this mean anything? Well, it's entirely possible it could be just words, but it is part of why we need a, a an active role in the United States and a willingness to play a, a, a role in the wider world. And to have a governmental shutdown now not only shut down, shuts down uh, the operation of national parks or other uh, items, at, at least 150,000 federal employees and probably many more who won't get paid. And then, of course, they do get paid later and it costs the government even more. The shutdown is so foolish and uh, uh, it, it needs so much some kind of leadership and it has to be from Kevin McCarthy who else is it going to be or is he actually going to be bounced as a speaker of the house uh, we will be talking about where actually we stand with uh, what is it it's uh, just um, uh, it's less than two weeks before we have uh, a government shutdown that is already built into the schedule. Uh, how can uh, we avoid it? We'll talk about that and what's necessary and much more.